Welcome back to the Forking Wellness Podcast. My name is Barry Strickoff, Registered Dietitian. And I'm Sophie Bertrand, Registered Nutritionist, and we are the authors of the Forking Wellness book and obviously the Forking Wellness Podcast. Each week we sit down and we discuss all things health and wellness from debunking diet myths to nutrition information, lifestyle factors, etc. Stick with us while we try and work out what the Fork Wellness really is. I don't even know what we do. This season's podcast is sponsored by Exhale Coffee, the UK's first coffee sourced and roasted for health and performance. It's organic and tested free from mycotoxins and pesticides, and one cup of Exhale Coffee independently tested to have the same antioxidants as 12 planets of blueberries or 55 oranges. That is literally insane. It's also optimized for polyphenols and two cups provides 20% of your RDA of vitamin B3 necessary for energy production and brain support. So how do they do this? Through their unique process involving nine different independent lab tests, lots and more of coffee's natural healthy compounds while keeping out the bad. And is overseen by Dr. Rufi, NHS medical doctor and Alex Manos, functional medicine practitioner. For those who are trying to avoid caffeine, they also offer a decaf, which is the same coffee that's been decaffeinated by the chemical-free mountain water process, which only uses pure spring water from the highest mountain in Mexico to gently extract 99.9% of caffeine and leave all the healthy polyphenols in place. For those who sometimes feel anxious from caffeine, polyphenols have been shown to reduce anxiousness. So people who previously couldn't drink coffee can often drink a high polyphenol coffee like Excel's so you can be jitter and crash free. That's actually so amazing. So many people avoid caffeine because it gives them the jitters we we love caffeine um so we welcome I mean, it yeah this <laughs> this version of caffeine is highly impressive <laughs> yes and they also equally prioritize their impact on the planet and only use plastic free compostable packaging their b corp pending and donate two percent of all sales to charities restoring the natural environment so you can head to xlcoffee.com And you can opt to either have your coffee ground for medium or fine for espresso or have it in whole bean. Hi, guys. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. We are so excited because we have body image researcher Nadia Craddock here with us. Hi, Nadia. Hi. Good to be here. We are so excited to talk to you. It's just one of those topics that we could talk about for ages. I know. I was literally just thinking, God, how are we going to narrow this down to like... 30 to 40 minutes for an episode because so many of our listeners as well are so interested in body image eating disorders you know there's there's just so much we can talk about well it affects so many people doesn't it so it really really does amazing so why don't you start by just telling us like a bit of an introduction like how did you how did you get into um this field of work oh so it's a good question so I have always been interested in public health and maybe mental health in particular and was doing some work on social emotional development kind of was in that space that was a bit more broad focusing on adolescence and I didn't know body image research was a thing I didn't know it was out there and I went to a talk so I was doing my master's actually at the time and I went to a talk at Harvard School of Public Health and it was a guest lecture or guest seminar led by Professor Philippa Didricks and she was talking about her work as a body image researcher and I was like this sounds very cool and I was super excited 
and I did that classic fangirl thing at the end of the talk being like tell me everything um can I come and work with you essentially and um and that's what happened I ended up working for Philippa at the Centre for Appearance Research at the University of the West of England in Bristol which is where I still work now and I actually still work on Philippa's team oh that's amazing that's so cool so what is your current research kind of focusing on Sure. So I am on the Dove Self-Esteem Project Partnership Team that Philippa leads. And my particular project is working on evaluating a body image lesson for adolescents aged 12 to 15 or thereabouts in Indonesia. So it's a school lesson. It's a single 90-minute lesson that's an adaptation of an existing evidence-based body image lesson. And we're testing it in Indonesia so a different cultural context to where it was tested before so that's really cool it's obviously had a lot of challenges given the the pandemic and how Mm. working with schools in a different different country other side of the world um but it's been such an enriching experience and I, I really hope that the young people who have been engaging in the in the project so far have have enjoyed it and and that the lesson works for them that the lesson is giving them a bit of a boost obviously one single session is one single lesson is not going to change the world for them but giving them a bit of a boost in terms of it might image. though right like well, that's, that's it and I think people react to things in different ways so you'll have you can have two children and they can respond in in a different way so one person it, it may not have a huge impact but there might be another person it might be their friend who it really it really changes how they they think things so, so that's the hope we're, we're still in the we're still in the process of collecting all the data so um kind of on the edge of our seats just <laughs> how it works but yeah that's my that's my main project that's so exciting so question you said like you were adapting it to suit um another culture was the original study that it's based off of or like the original um lesson was that UK based it was it was initially tested in the UK that's right in 2000 I think the paper was published in 2015 so it it would have been tested maybe the year or two before that that's so like I just like imagine when I was that age you said 12 between 50 and like how much I would have benefited from a conversation like that in schools well that's it and it's it's so amazing to me that there, there is that out there now and we're getting that out to more and more young people and I feel like things are so different I think obviously there is a long long way to go and I don't think that we have we're even close to solving the Mm. issue of negative body image among young people at all but I think there are definitely different options for young people there are different narratives out there there are people are more aware and are working really really hard to try and find ways to support young people navigate that kind of particularly difficult time of adolescence and and in relation to their bodies in particular so um very different to to when I was at school where we just didn't talk about any any of that at all Mm. would you say the long-term kind of solution is preventative I mean I'm always going to be in the favor of prevention because I think that stands to benefit most people Mm. um in that way and we know when because i think if we think about negative body image and what some of the outcomes of negative body image are that we see from from the research and we see things like um which probably will come of no surprise to you and your listeners but things like eating disorders depression low mood anxiety 
um, but also kind of a disengagement in in life and social life and having like a rich happy full life I think in terms of how when you feel and we kind of know this when you feel bad about yourself and bad about your appearance you kind of withdraw or many people Mm -hmm. there is a tendency to withdraw to isolate a bit more to not um you know you might not like being hugged or touched or or people looking at you so you might not go to your might might not go to parties you might might not put your hand up in class you might not um put yourself forward for for certain things um, and we often see um, a common thing for adolescents is like how young people, particularly girls, will t- um, step back from like playing in sports and that, those kind of things. So there's a whole range of things that negative body image can lead to. Um, so I think, and I'm losing my trail of thought somewhat, so it's a little late in the day. Um, no, it's okay. This is like the story of our lives. Um, <laughs> um, no, but I think again, where, what were we talking on about? prevention. Prevention, yeah. So, um, and I think when we're thinking about all of those things, like how like eating disorders in particular, just they're so difficult. You just don't want anyone to live through that, and they're yeah, and they're so hard. It's so hard. People really, really struggle to recover. You can recover, of course, from an eating disorder. You can fully recover, but it's it's hard right it's hard so you kind of yeah. want people to get there so if you can prevent that kind of thing you really you really want to and um, of course we still need huge investment in treatment for eating disorders mm. so it's not to say that you should have one and not the other um but that that kind of preventative universal intervention whether that's at school whether that's on social media or a, a program that young people watch or or anything like that I think things can work in in tandem Um, yeah I have a question about that just like I'm just thinking back to where I was at that age like what what we learned about in school excuse me and one of the things that I struggle with when I used to practice was prevention and education versus like giving someone a complex that they didn't have before so like I remember like when we learned about eating disorders in school like I didn't know about them. So it was almost like, oh, well, I'm learning something new here. Right. And we know that on like eating disorder wards, you know, it's, it's very common that individuals teach each other tricks or they, you know, Mm -hmm. they share their kind of journeys in a way that's like, how do you, so how do like, do you educate adolescents without bringing awareness Mm -hmm. to their body and be like oh but your body's beautiful and you know we're all different shapes and sizes but then again you're focusing on someone's appearance I just find it like I just don't even know yeah so that's a brilliant question I'm really glad you brought it up because it's it's really interesting to start looking at it and so when we design our body image interventions we don't talk about eating disorders we might talk about it as an outcome in terms of Mm. Like, an obsession. like a negative yeah and like an obsession with food and and like withdrawing from social activities and some of those symptoms of 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 what it's like living with an eating disorder but we don't we don't go into the what an eating disorder looks like because it's actually body image negative body image in and of itself is not helpful to people so we can look at what negative body image is in its own right and how do we address negative body image in its own right and a lot of that is looking at societal appearance pressures um and how do we deconstruct those how do we critique those and how do we build up resilience against some of those negative pressures and how 
do we reframe our relationship with ourselves and our bodies? So how do we think about our bodies in a more positive way? How do we think about our bodies outside of that appearance of our bodies and think about our bodies in terms of what our bodies can do, so our body functionality? And we also think about uh, boosting young people's self-esteem and, and giving them tools like self-compassion as well to think about how they they see themselves and they see their their bodies and but I think what you raise is a really important point is that we need to test our interventions because there's always potential for harm particularly when we're talking about some of these sensitive areas and we know that there there are interventions out there inadvertently of course no one is out there trying to intend no of course harm like positive intention you can have that in a like those unintended consequences right so and sometimes and I am very cautious about talking about eating disorders in, in different spaces in terms of and I think there, there is that good intention and I think especially when people recover and in those early days of recovery you want to be like tell everyone about it and be like no you, you don't have to and guess what I did and guess how much I weighed and guess how awful it was and there's just that risk there to have a couple of vulnerable people in that room listening in and being like oh maybe I should try that maybe I may or maybe I wasn't thin enough or maybe I can be thin you know like oh it it can kind of set it some of the behaviors can give people a little bit of a rule book in terms of a manual in terms of how to and of course it's never intended but when you have a class full of people the likelihood is that you are going to have a couple of people in there at least who who may be vulnerable to to that kind of thing so I always steer clear of having a, a full-on eating disorder talk I yeah I know what you mean I do worry how how helpful it is and and with that piece of the potential for harm and again going back to that's why we test and really really rigorously test our interventions before they get rolled out at scale because despite all the work that's going into the interventions that we're working on that there's always the possibility that that they're not going to work, right? So we want to be really confident, and that's why so much money and time and resources invested in testing that they work, so we can feel confident. Then we can be like, yeah, actually, I can hand on heart put my say. I think schools should try this. I think schools should do this, or I think people should watch this. I think this should be out there in the world, and it has some substance behind it, rather than just good intent, because good intent is not always enough mm. is this something you see maybe being used widely across the country in schools in the near future um well with this particular lesson so with the dove self-esteem project any evidence-based project that has gone through is freely available on their website for for people to use so it there is that um there is there have been studies where people have tested different interventions and you'll see where some and say so they'll do a systematic review we'll look at lots of outcomes for for a number of studies testing different body image interventions and you'll see that some work and some don't and the best case scenario when they don't work is that they just don't do anything um but not every intervention works um and that's science right sometimes mm you don't always hit the mark and and then there's also when we're thinking about body image in terms of how things get outdated and are they still relevant are they still current for young people so there's a lot to consider when we're thinking about these things it's not as easy as just 
I I know what worked for me and this is what I'm gonna I'm gonna share mm. with you and I think there's an element of that that can can be useful on on social media and if you're following someone that you're like oh yeah this this really resonates with me and I think there's there is a space for that but I I think it's also just thinking um what's the potential for harm um, mm, yeah we have to think about that because we have to go through um ethical boards when we're, we're deciding yeah of course and, and stuff like that so yeah it's crazy because they they don't even really teach nutrition in schools which I just find so bizarre or like skewed nutrition like mm. or really really outdated like super yeah. outdated nutrition which like, like like you said like you you said like things change right like we have an intervention we test it and like nutrition so similar right like we have a hypothesis we test it we'll put out mm. the guidelines and then like 10 years later we're like hey this is outdated we the need to change it yeah. but like for some reason the school system is still that's that's what it's teaching and it, it might be due to limited resources and funds and who knows and I'm sure that there's like a whole I don't know bureaucratic explanation for <laughs> that but um yeah it's 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 wild how there's not a lot of education um where does social media come into this like for was, you touched on it a bit before, but like it, adolescents are like, we didn't have social media growing up. We had like, I was going to say, because you've magazines. probably been researching this longer than social media has been around, right? Um, definitely the field of, of body image research has been long predates the world of social media. So yes, certainly. Um, so where does social media come in? It's it's a good question. It's a big question. I think yeah. it's a hard and hard. Because well, what I was thinking is like when I was younger, we didn't have social media, but we had like teen magazines and TV. And like you you saw a lot of the same kind of like cues and stimuli in different ways. But the thing with social media is like one you seek you can seek out the information a lot more accessible like it's it's a lot more accessible to you you can get more specific into the type of you know content that you want to consume and three like it's personal like you like I don't know I wasn't subjected to like pictures of myself seeing pictures of myself that regularly mm -hmm. like you look in the mirror as a kid and you have like photo albums in your house but you actually didn't like physically look at your body that much where I feel like now with social media it's like more of a constant reminder it's just like a completely different way to consume content and how that's reflected in like our image of ourselves yeah and I think what you picked up on there is what we talk about in terms of objectification and self-objectification because I think what social media media has the potential for, and particularly when we're thinking about these visual platforms, thinking, let's and let's use Instagram as that example, is that not only are we consuming media, but we're creating media and we're putting out our own media. So we're putting out our own representation of ourselves. So we are then thinking about, okay, what's the best image of myself? So you're kind of looking at yourself from the eyes of your followers or people or strangers on the internet essentially who might be viewing you you might have a private account but so okay you may be thinking about through the eyes of your, of your friends or whoever but you're still thinking about yourself and how you're being perceived from that external gaze and you're thinking okay well what's what's the best way to portray myself there's we have all of these tools at our fingertips to edit your image and edit how we look so you've got your filters you've got all the different uh 
apps like the photoshoppy type apps where you yeah, like get, like, tune type things exactly so you can kind of like play around with how you look and before you know it you're kind of you've got a really distorted view of what you then look like because you have your picture on social media and you actually don't quite reflect that and then so there's that that effect and what researchers find that the people the more people spend like tweaking and perfect and quote air quotes here like perfecting their image the worse they feel about themselves they're getting so preoccupied with with their appearance and then you've got this whole other layer where you're getting judged on your appearance where and you're getting validated on your appearance in terms of number of likes number of comments uh, what what the qualitative content of those comments are so if people are constantly commenting on your appearance it kind of keeps you in that space of thinking I'm something to be perceived, which again ties in with objectification theory as being like a, a passive object as opposed to being like an active agent in society and someone who's got a personality and hobbies and other things, you're kind of flattened into just your image. So I think that is certainly where the research focuses in terms of perhaps the some of the negative impact on on social of social media on people's body image. So it's it's how we're um, portraying ourselves even and then you have the other aspect in terms of and you touched on it a little bit in terms of social comparison so that whole idea that you're comparing yourself to people's um, best image your everyday self with people's best image or edited image um, more often than not and so that also can really get into people's heads and, and give you that distorted view of, of what you should again air quotes should look like and it is that process of of comparison and you just find yourself falling short and I, I guess it also obviously depends on the content that you were following but it is that immediate and almost it feels mindless you kind of feel like it's not something that's problematic because it feels so mindless but actually it's how that just gets so um it's like absorbed it's yeah, just like you you, you unconsciously like absorb that those thoughts and the language and the the everything right yeah and it's and it's not just the image it's like what goes along with the image what's the comments what do, how do other people comment and other yeah, people's I was, image and I was just about to say what you said about the likes and stuff mm -hmm. you could upload a picture and it could get 10 likes or 100 likes and you'll take that as like, oh, it's got 100 likes, so I must look really good. Therefore, I'm in a good mm -hmm. mood and I like myself. Or if it gets 10 likes, you're like, well, no one liked it. I'm really ugly. Yeah. And it's, and again, it's like, it's how, because when you say it out loud, you're like, oh, that, I don't, I'm, surely I'm above thinking like that. But you, you mm, just subconsciously, get yeah, you just do get sucked in to that. And you see what other people, how, mm. how many other people, get their photos get liked and and all of that kind of thing so I think that's the potential for or why people can feel badly by spending lots of time on social media and I guess it's obviously it's not all it's not all bad out there and it really depends on what you follow but I would always have that conversation with people and, and I have to do this with myself so this is not I'm definitely not um immune to any of this and that's as someone who is a body image researcher, I can still feel badly by spending too long on my phone, right? Mm. I think so. You have to kind of check in with yourself and be like, Am I being intentional with what I'm doing on social media? Am I being intentional with who I'm following? And actually, sometimes we have different periods in our life where we're feeling more vulnerable than others, right? So sometimes I could look at 
or anyone could look at loads of different images or food models or, or whatever, like appearance ideal type images, and it, it doesn't touch the sides. And then sometimes you're just feeling a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more insecure about yourself, and you just look at one image and you're like, I'm the worst person there. <laughs> there is, and you just feel, you feel terrible. So you also have to know yourself a little bit and like where you're at and is social media going to be the place for you to kind of make you feel better? Because it is that we, we choose or it's free to use, but we choose how we spend our time on there. It's like completely your, your choice. So you can opt out and you can be like, you know what? Actually, I, do, I, I don't think this is what is right for me, or I don't think following this one particular account is right for me. And that's, that's completely up to you. It's how you're choosing to spend your time and who you're giving your attention to or to what you're giving your attention to. So I think it is just kind of sometimes pulling back a little bit and being like, is this something that's benefiting me? And if not, why are you doing it? Because you don't have to. I know there's, you know, sometimes there's pressure to, particularly for young people, to be online, to be engaged with others. But then it may be about having conversations with your friends. Be like, oh, actually, should we all not like can we? Should we not do that? And actually, should we? Should we do whatever? And it's 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 hard. And so I think they're not these are not easy situations always to navigate but I think that it does always come back to like this is a choice that you're doing and following is a choice how much time you're spending on social media is a choice and you do deep down know yourself and know what is making you feel bad and what is making you feel good or what Mm. doesn't really make a difference so I think it is just having that bit of a a check-in every now and again on, on how it's making you feel yeah I completely agree it is so interesting it's like you have the power to do it and if it's Mm -hmm. making you feel bad like we would never like like I'm just trying to think of like a silly analogy like if like I don't know like like if you were to burn yourself this is the stupidest analogy I hate myself for saying this we're all just like getting here mentally that this is going to be rubbish um if you were to like put your hand on the stove you actively know that that's going to hurt you and you would never do it again but like something as weird as like following certain accounts like it's not as obvious that it's hurting you but you have like the same amount of control to be able to like deal with it and being able to like pull yourself out of that situation actively like not burn your hand like actively not expose yourself to the messages that are harming you but it's so non-obvious that like I I know that for some people you might not even realize that it was hurting you until you like you accidentally just have like a super busy day you don't even have time mm-hmm. for social media and then you're like oh you know what I didn't even think of xyz because I was so busy and it's like yeah you feel yeah. better and sometimes like it, it's just yeah I don't think to a lot of people they understand how mm-hmm. impactful mm-hmm. it is um because there's no you. like physical pain mm-hmm. that might be weird no I, I, no, I, I thought I that was good actually <laughs> and I think and because a lot of it is mindless again and it's like because it's so common everyone's like it feels like everyone's on social everyone media does the it time. yeah and um, so you it's like the new feel, normal yeah you kind of feel like it especially thing. in lockdown like with the the lack yeah, of social connection like yeah, how else you, did we connect with people that's yeah. it but then you ask people did it make you feel good and like, everyone is like no, no. terrible and I think that can be useful as well knowing that actually a lot of people do feel bad when they use social media and they might not tell you that um yeah and, you know a lot of it depending on on who we're talking about here but if like a lot of people use social media for their work like they're promoting their brand they're promoting their their business or whatever so they mm. kind of have to use social media there's so people don't always say when things make them feel 
bad or actually they've yeah. worked out ways to have boundaries and manage that relationship and sometimes maybe people who have either bigger accounts or who use social media for their work have put those boundaries quite hard and fast in place because they know that that's how it's going to make it feel okay to to do um but I think it's not always spoken about sometimes in terms of like yeah it can make you feel bad and you can also choose to opt you know opt out yeah 100% have you seen um I don't know if there's any research on this yet but the kind of body positivity movement and obviously haze health every size has that had any impact on um kind of the outcomes or kind of what am I trying to say I guess the statistics in terms of people suffering with body image so in terms of statistics on how people are are feeling about their bodies I I don't know of any and and it would be a great study right we've kind of yeah before and after like before and after but it's kind of hard because you then have the additional factor of time so Mm. if you're thinking before and after the body and it's like how do you quantify it yeah coming up and that's like maybe over a course of years and then you've got the that confounding factor of actually if you're looking at someone who's 15 then versus 20 you know five years on when they're 20 they might may feel different and that's just a product of age and not actually a response to what's happening online so it's it's actually quite complicated to to pin down and be like oh that's the reason I guess you can have like qualitative research from people talking about it and it, it yeah. kind of depends how much you engage with it what I think in terms of what we see from social media and from a lot of the kind of mainstream body positivity type content that we see and and maybe the kind of more radical aspects too um is that it has changed how brands represent people I think social media has been a big part of that I think it has shown to brands that they can do things differently they don't have to have all their models look exactly the same and be exactly the same size and I think we have seen a shift in what brands yeah. are representing I mean Maybe even like it's not big, perfect. Victoria's Secret like literally how much hate did they get for their fashion shows for yeah. only displaying one type of you know body and now they're doing like a whole restructuring kind of thing they've come out with tons of new I don't know if you guys seen it recently but I saw I got targeted with an ad for it recently so um their new like Victoria's Secret pink line is much more inclusive like under the same umbrella and like using more inclusive models and diversity and stuff like that but they they like they should have done it like 100% but they were effectively bullied into doing it for the right reasons it was basically like change or yeah don't like like like, and and from what I understand of the brand is like it has not been doing well of late so I think no that's kind of and that's I think I agree of where we are getting to as a society in terms of like thinking like what we're demanding of brands exactly that was the point I was trying to make but you knew Um, more nuanced but yeah and I think but I but I think there's still a long way to go and and really thanks to a lot of activists and people who are really agitating for change and really pushing there's there's a lot in terms of so yes we are seeing better representation not fully inclusive representation but it certainly I think is better but that doesn't always translate to what's on offer if we're, if we're thinking about a fashion brand right so of course they have more inclusive 
ad campaign, but when you go into store, it's online only. Yeah, yeah. So you have an inclusive branding sizes. So there's, there's a huge way to go, but I, I definitely think there is a shift in brand, in brand and corporate action. And I think there is a shift in the like zeitgeist in terms of how people are, are talking about some of these topics. Again, it, there's a real spectrum in terms of how people and what people take away from these conversations and how far people are prepared to to go with their thinking on some of these topics um but i think it has it it has had that that effect and i just hope that that continues rather than stagnates and then so in terms of thinking about um, inclusion on on side that we're not just adding like another like okay well you're you're okay now if you're we can add like another three sizes into that narrow societal body ideal, but that's it. And then we're yeah. still keeping everyone else out. So we want it to 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 keep going, and it's it's obviously far from from being there yet. But I don't think it. I don't think the increased conversation on on body image or body positivity, like the body positivity, all those kinds of conversations have had a sweeping change yeah I know what you mean like everyone feels about their body I think it's certainly I'm and I'm sure I feel confident that that'll be for some people it has really had a powerful impact on their individual body image but there's still many many societal pressures that keep us in this space where most people struggle with their body image at some point in time Right. there's still so much weight stigma in society there's lots of different forms of appearance-based prejudice out there there's still you know the minute a celebrity lo- loses weight everyone like there's so much attention and focus on it so it's like there is so much so, in terms of like a way to go um but i think we are certainly having more critical conversations certainly in some spaces and again it's easy sometimes on social media or in certain circles to be in a bit of a bubble in these conversations yeah and I think that's yeah something to worth thinking about as well but yeah depending on who you follow like you can be in quite an echo chamber so it feels like you're hearing it all the time and the impact might be overstated but if you take a step back and it's like well not everyone is entering that conversation um which is interesting Do you see differences in different, uh, sorry, different generations in terms of body image and poor body image? In terms of like who's struggling more Mm. or is that kind of thing? Again, it's a good question. It's one that's a little difficult to answer, I think, because we don't have really systematic research that's looking at different ages at snapshots in time. Mm. in the same way so there's a lot more research focused on on children and adolescents adolescents in particular um younger children also there is less research very obviously less research on people who are older um kind of you kind of go 25 up and actually it's quite hard to find like high quality studies um at the same frequency as what you'll have for like that kind of college age or university age women is a very common psychology demographic for studies um partly because of convenience so it's hard to say 
categorically. I think adolescence is a time because of there's so many changes, like there's changes in hormones, changes in how your body actually looks. There's your as your brain is developing, you react in different ways to different things. Like peers are so important to you, generally speaking. So that's why we tend to tend to see or or focus on adolescence and and research that has tracked people the same groups the same cohorts of people over time tend to see negative body image or body dissatisfaction increasing as as young people enter adolescence so that kind of 12 to 13 mark is where you kind of see that increase in negative body image that some research show that it can kind of continue to increase through adolescence it can stay the same depending on on that trajectory and then after that it can depend it can depend right so it can start for some people some people as they get older get going to go through their 20s 30s generally may start to feel better because they attribute less importance to how they look mm-hmm. um and a whole number of factors can tie in to that happening um we see when women or people have babies for example sometimes that can be really helpful in terms of how people view their bodies because they start thinking maybe about what their body can do more than they perhaps have done previously but there's also a lot of societal pressure for people to bounce back post baby so it doesn't always work out that way that when people have babies they then feel start feeling better about their body or they start reframing um their relationship with their body it's it's not always the case it can be the case but i think there are all of these different factors which can influence that and i think then when we start thinking um slightly older women perhaps or or older people um post um having children there are different pressures and i think then if we are thinking about women in particular the pressure to look young and so maybe weight and shape might not be the primary concern or or the only concern it may be around aging and there's so much marketing and and conversation about anti-aging and and like the whole cosmetic surgery industry kind of trying to with like facelift botox all of those kind of things yeah there's all of that kind of pressure we see far less rep- representation in media with with older women in particular so there are lots of different factors at play in terms of why people may feel better or worse at different points in their life and I think there are like individual level factors I think then there are like those societal factors and that's those societal factors can shift yeah actually like anecdotally I work in a company that um predominantly you know our largest kind of like consumer base is like women over the age of 55 and so it's a lot of like menopausal perimenopause postmenopause women and there's just like no information for them like easily accessible to like understand what their body is going through and how how the changes are like we know like adolescence there's all these hormone changes and how our body changes um in shape and size and like the same thing kind of happens during menopause but like it's just very like less spoken about and less normalized and there's like a whole ton of body shifts and I I do feel like there's this weird ebb and flow and like when body image becomes more important to you um but like I there is this just like trend that I see every day and obviously I'm biased because 
I experience it every day, but like this trend of 55 year old women where maybe like their kids are now out of the house and like their focuses are changing. And then all of a sudden their body is changing and they're not feeling as happy. And there's like so much mentally going on. I just feel like it's almost like a lost area that's being spoken about as well. I mean, like women, like we get it so hard. There's always a generation and things we're dealing with, but like the menopausal women, like just as like my mom's probably listening, being like, go Barry. Um, But yeah, it is interesting how like, um, I think it comes with every generation. Every generation has their, their issues. Yeah. And at different ages, right. So like if we're thinking about generations of cohorts that go through time, I think then it's like at different points of your life, I think. So at different points of people's time, and how your body changes, how your hormones change, all of these things can be really unsettling. And I think one of uh, like the risk factors for poor body image or a poor relationship with your with your body and or food is things like insecurity and like feeling insecure about yourself more generally, feeling like having low self-esteem, being hot, like feeling anxious, low mood can all be avenues into just feeling bad about your body because it's so and I think partly because we're conditioned in society to do this but it's so so common for people to project negative emotion onto your body and be like your body is the problem and actually if you only you could change your body in some way and whether that's like looking younger or being a little you know five pounds or whatever smaller lighter whatever that will fix whatever else is going on and it's not an individual's fault that they feel that way. I think we are told that so much in so many different ways that it's kind of instilled in our brain that we're like, oh, this is this is the this is the the body is the problem. Our how we look is the problem. And actually, if we only can fix that, and there are so many different ways we can quote fix that through buying all of these different products or going to buying whatever membership it is and then and then fixing it and it doesn't actually fix anything um, or doesn't fix that low self-esteem or, or low mood so um and we know that you can have like go through as you go through life you're gonna have periods where you feel better and worse about yourself yeah definitely if I mean like spoken about so much it's been mm-hmm. so like insightful to hear um everything but if you had like one piece of advice for someone it could be quite quick nothing nothing like so I don't want to scare you because I don't know um like one piece of advice for someone who might be struggling with their body image or um experiencing body dissatisfaction or anything what what is something that you feel could be really helpful for them to hear Hard to pick one, but I think if I'm going to, I always think it's useful to think that this is a problem that's bigger than you. It's not a you problem, it's a societal problem. And the more that you can see that it's affecting not just you, but it's affecting so many people in your life and in the world at large, um, I think it's easier to then shift your focus and your perspective and be like, actually, this is not a me problem. This is a, um, a societal problem. And actually my body is fine, how I look is fine. And then you can, I think then it becomes easier to reframe and shift that relationship that you have with your body in terms of being more accepting of your body for how it is today, 
for thinking about your body in terms of what it can do rather than just what it can look like so I think that's knowing that it's not a you problem and the problem is never your body it's it's all of the pressure that we are under and um, will be that one piece of advice and then I think as the second piece like you can never just end on on two is I think if you're at that crossroads of thinking like you know what I really want to change how I feel with my my body but I just don't know how I can't like it like feels like <laughs> too much I always would really recommend gathering as much information listening to as many people following as many people and find what resonates with you because what I say might not click with you at all but what someone else says might really resonate and that can happen in many different ways in lots of different contexts or it may just be an accumulation of hearing yeah different people saying the same thing um but I think because we live in this society where there's so much pressure the other way there's so much pressure to look and meet these very narrow societal appearance standards and that's coming from all directions if you want to change that narrative you almost want the same volume um yeah you need to match the exposure points don't you yeah that's so interesting I really like that also I like the perspective like like it's not a you thing Mm -hmm. um because I think it takes like Mm -hmm. the blame and the pressure off the individual yeah I, I think so I think it's really hard because it's so easy to internalize that it is a you problem and because you're told that you can fix it quote fix it by buying yeah. something or joining something or whatever so then you're like oh if only I can do this but then if you can just yeah shift that a little bit and be like no actually would you you know that's it, it's just so much it's so much bigger and it's like there's so much and it's just such a distraction I think that's the other thing it's just it's such a distraction it's like what are your priorities how would you like to look forwards mm. and how would you like to look back and and being always slightly caught up by how you look just feels such a waste and such a shame and the fact that so many of us do it um is really frustrating so you, you just kind of want to be like oh no it's such a blurry line because it's like you want to feel good about yourself but are you doing it for you or are you doing it because of the pressures and these you know expectations that society puts on us I just feel like it's so difficult because I'm all for Barry and I have spoken about this before you know if you want to get Botox to make yourself feel better about yourself and you know like the way you look a bit more in the mirror great good for you but actually are you doing it because you think you're 50 years old and you should look 40 you know I think that's it's very interesting I think and I feel like this could be a whole other conversation I was going to say I feel like we could just go off on one here (laughs) about cosmetic surgery and I think the issue for me is the fact that all of this exists and again it's something that you can then buy and purchase Mm. and engage in this like body work cycle to to make society accept you more Mm. and there is that idea that actually if if the if society accepted people who looked a bit older would we all be rushing to get Botox that's what I mean Um, yeah so I think again it's a society thing not a you thing so that's not to shame anyone who goes and gets both mm. or whatever because of all the pressure that people are under but then I just wish it wasn't a normalized thing and the thing with Botox and again this is a complete tangent but like the thing with Botox is that it doesn't last right so it's like not a one 
expensive upkeep yeah you have to upkeep it but then there's a lot of cost involved and then it's always always risk right there is always risk and it may be small like i think obviously there are lots of people who get botox and nothing happens but it can go wrong and it can completely change your life yeah and then there's that so you have that risk you also have the risk of it being never being good enough right so then yeah that's we had we had a cosmetic um, like nurse practitioner on the podcast before to talk about this um, because it is kind of like, what screening do you do for an individual before? Mm. Like, how can you um, ascertain their like uh, capacity and things like that to understand like, and the level of the practitioner to be able to say no, um, I think is like really, really important. Um, and I think Emily was, um, the nurse practitioner that came on and talked about it and she was just like I will very much tell my clients like this is not I won't do this you can go to someone else but like I'm drawing the line here and I think like there is like a duty of care and mm-hmm. um a lot of the times it is like a money-making thing and those not every practitioner is kind of abides by the same ethical standards um which which is an issue right like a whole whole big ethical conversation to have but i think there is that component of like body image negative body image is a psychological issue it's like an internal it's it's your internal relationship with yourself and there is an industry out there that has medicalized that problem to them and not just medicalized but monetized exactly yeah no I I agree like if I'm completely honest I see both sides um like I I'm I don't know Switzerland I don't know Mm -hmm. but I think like the beauty of this is that like we're all entitled to our own kind of like thoughts and opinions and you know I think I think that's kind of what this podcast is really about yeah and I think I think it's thinking about these things critically and again thinking about it in terms of it being that bigger societal issue and and pressure and so I think there's there's always like individual agency and like you can do what you, with your own body what you want but how is it playing out for you and again it's I think it's going back to what how we're talking about social media like are you being intentional is this really what is going to make you happy or are you trying to fix something yeah it's that whole thing of like giving someone a complex that they didn't know they had of like giving someone an Instagram filter where their face looks like flawless and then like without that Instagram filter they're like shit I didn't know I looked this way literally you're like is that what I look like yeah and it's like almost like the the yeah it's like you didn't have a complex about the way your face looked before but then like Mm -hmm. in the absence of the Instagram filter you're like oh shit I'm not entirely happy mm. <laughs> so that can, that can work with botox like when it like it when it i don't know i don't know the right terminology but like when it dissipates or like yeah it dissolves uh, yeah i don't know um yeah whatever happens. wears away i don't know yeah, yeah. And then, you're like, then you're like oh my god could you get used to your face with, with it and then you're yeah. like oh, no this is terrible and then you feel bad or, or again it's like and we i think like okay i could just go on the master tangent so I like <laughs> but like it's where we kind of throw you you want to feel better about yourself right so you want to feel better about whatever it is so you may yeah. have an insecurity about I don't know whatever work something completely unrelated to your appearance but you're like oh if I just do this one thing and you just put like all, all your, your eggs in that basket and you're like mm-hmm. well it's not is this really gonna help is this really gonna change I don't know your relationships or whether or not 
this is going to work out for you or whatever it is but I, again it's going it back to society and with so so much of that cultural narrative is like if you look a certain way everything is going to fall in line fall in place you're going to be happy you're going to be successful you're going to everything is going to be rosy and like that. yeah also wouldn't that be not nice true. <laughs> <laughs> also, um not true so there you go I'll stop there <laughs> yeah <laughs> no I literally could talk about that for so long but um just a few more points um do you do any work around kind of body neutrality versus body acceptance because we actually talked a little bit about this in our book talking wellness um but I feel like to love your body is a lot to ask of some people so the focus on body neutrality is more achievable if that makes sense do you do any work around that yeah and it's what's really interesting to me it's not quite the language or terminology that we use a lot in the scientific body image space mm-hmm. and not, that's not to say either of those terms are, are wrong or or, redundant yeah. or or anyway it's just and I know that they're, they're increasingly more mainstream body neutrality in particular but I I get your point in terms of that pressure for I, I think what a lot of people think of in terms of positive body image feeling like a lot of pressure so you want like that kind of almost like a stepping stone or like an interim and I think there's different ways of understanding body neutrality and be curious to know how you define it but in terms of just almost like an idea of just not even thinking about your body and just having that um accepting your body but not really kind of thinking about it more deeply than that in terms of how we talk about it in the body image literature a lot that we talk about this concept positive body image and how we define positive body image it's not just thinking that you look good it's not body satisfaction it's a lot more than that so it is things like body appreciation so appreciating your body um for being your body for being your home for being uh, appreciating your body for what it can do so that's sometimes called body functionality and um, respecting your body caring for your body so it's it's a lot more um holistic and and i'd like to think achievable than how sometimes positive body images the term is widely understood and it, it seems like this big thing that it's you can only have a positive body image if you're happy to post pictures of yourself in your underwear <laughs> but I feel like it it can sometimes get reduced to that yeah um, and I think it's where lots of different things have, have got conflated and confused um but that's how we talk about positive body image a lot um that's interesting yeah. I didn't think about it like that um because I'm not in the research right but like it is that does make sense yeah it's not it doesn't feel as like I completely see that it's like we have there's all of this pressure to to look a certain way and then if you don't look a certain way then it's like well you should be um happy with yourself anyway um and yes of course I'd, I'd like everyone to feel good and happy with themselves anyway but it's almost it's it's thinking about it in that broader way it you you can think about it in terms of like yeah, no, I just accept my body for what it, how it is today, how it is in the moment, and thinking about your body in that 
in a different way for thinking about your body your body is not just your appearance right your body yeah. does so much for you and think about all of the things that it does for you um, and not just in terms of like moving around but in terms of connecting with people in terms of like being able to engage in your hobbies and all your different activities and like being able to give people hugs and all like just like living your life I think your body is is kind of key to that right in terms of how you um navigate the world and and then just how you look after your body how you care and respect for your body in terms of thinking about um some of those um behaviors in terms of that relationship to your body so if we think about body image about being your relationship to your body you can kind of think about it in terms of like having a negative relationship to your body and then you can think about it about having a, a more positive or healthier relationship to your body where it's it's just not holding you back and i think that's always the thing that it's useful to come back to is at what point is your relationship to your body causing you pain or distress um and how do you get yourself out of that painful difficult space and I, it's hard because you don't want to put all the onus on the individual but or and is probably a better way of, of saying it but you can or and you can right you can like i think you can find ways to be more resilient to societal pressures by actually opting out and be like you know what not for me you can create boundaries for yourself you can spend less time with so on social media if that's your trigger it's like identifying what your triggers are that make you feel mm -hmm. worse and then kind of leaning into things that make you feel better yeah we talk about that so much right like finding the things that bring you happiness and yeah. just like mm -hmm. proactively choosing to do those yeah. more yeah Exactly. 100%. Um, well, this has been such a fantastic chat. Um, thank you so much for joining us and taking the time out of your busy evening um, to talk to us about body image and all the work that you've been doing. So where can people, if they're, they want to hear more about what you do or just like learn more, where can people find you? Sure. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you both. Um, and in terms of where to find me, um, online at least <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah you don't that, need to give your postcode I know, we, we say that I, I um so I host a couple of podcasts I host my centered podcast or co-host my centered podcast which is appearance matters so we talk quite a lot about the the research and science around body image and appearance psychology I also co-host a podcast with Honey Ross called the Body protest we're between seasons at the moment but there's a nice archive to delve into and then on Instagram, I'm at Nadia.Craddock um, and I post very intermittently, but I do, I am on there. Um, and then I, I do use Twitter occasionally too. So, and that's Nadia underscore Craddock. Amazing. Amazing. Well, well, yeah, I was going to say, we'll link all that in the show notes. Super, thank you. Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much, guys. If you have any more interest, um, just follow Nadia on everything that she just said. <laughs> um, and yeah, thank you so much for listening and we will be back next week. Bye. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of the Forking Wellness Podcast. As always, please rate, review and subscribe. And share with your friends if you love this episode. It really does help us get seen in the chart. You can now also order our Forking Wellness book anywhere books are sold. Order it on Amazon Prime for next day delivery. And Barnes & Noble in America. And if you love the book, we would so appreciate a review on Amazon. We absolutely love hearing your feedback and we really hope you enjoy it. We'll speak to you guys next week. Bye.